Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Asp and Answered. Today, Brandon, Katie, and I are joined by Dr. Bonnie Berger, who served as the 25th president of Asp from 2010 to 2011. Dr. Berger is a professor emerita at Bowling Green State University. So, Dr. Berger, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We're so excited um, to get to talk with you about your experiences in Asp and sports psychology. We would love um, to start off by you just giving us um, kind of your elevator pitch, your bio um, about where you are today. All right. Obviously, I'm in Bowling Green, Ohio today. And I'm, uh, as I said, recently retired from Bowling Green State University. And I first came to Bowling Green 20 years ago. Um, and I came as the associate. Uh, what school director was the official title. Um, and so I was an outside administrator coming in to make wonderful changes. Um, and that's always hard. Um, and I was school director for two five-year terms. And then for the last 10 years at Bowling Green, I was a regular faculty member. And even though I'm retired, it hasn't felt like I was retired because with COVID, um, I was working on research most of the time because it, it sounds terrible. There was nothing else to do, but it kept me occupied and it helped me feel very productive uh, and not terribly confined by COVID. Uh, I still have my office at the university. I still have the laboratory. Uh, I have projects going on with the faculty and it's like I'm retired from teaching, but I'm not tired from research and service. So it's a good stage of my life. And I'm still trying, even though I've been retired for three years, I'm trying to figure out what retirement is all about. And as I do that thinking, I'm aware that retirement doesn't mean quitting. And things that we've devoted our lives to are things that bring us pleasure, that we're talented and capable of. And it's a, a nice idea to change, to sort of experiment with different ideas and continue to publish with colleagues. So yeah. life is good. That's my elevator speech. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, congratulations on your, it sounds like semi-retirement as opposed to Full retirement, but what a lovely transition from the teaching aspect into now doing scholarship and research, which is so much of our professional careers anyway. Mm -hmm. So you can continue that as long as you've got good colleagues to work with. It helps. Okay. Um, so the, thank you for that, Bonnie, because, you know, and um, with elevator pitches, I feel like oftentimes were asked, what would be your elevator pitch for the field if you had to explain, you know, sports psychology to someone that, you know, was not familiar with the profession. It's a little bit different when we turn the tables and ask for an elevator pitch about like ourselves, because I have yet to get into an elevator and someone asks me, you know, you've got five floors to, to tell me about who you are and how you got there. So we do have a, a kind of a follow-up question um, for you related to that. Um, Part of the podcast is to really better understand how key, you know, people, figures in our field, you certainly being one of those individuals, got to where you are today. So um, you gave us a wonderful, wonderful kind of glimpse into 
you know, that, that brief, here's kind of how I got started and, and here's where I am right now. Um, now we'll give you a little bit more leeway, a little bit more time maybe to go into some more detail. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your, your background, um, the pathway you took to, to get to where you are today? And then if there are any, you know, significant moments or experiences that really stand out to you, um, please feel free to, uh, you know, elaborate on those as well. Our listeners would love to hear it. All right. There are a lot. <laughs> um, and it's hard to pick and choose. And so talking to colleagues or future colleagues um, of what was my professional life like, I think when I think back, I was going to start with my undergraduate education. But I thought even before that, it was my participation in swimming from ages 8 to 18 at the local Y. And I spent all of my time at the Y. So so I got into sports psychology through swimming, I would say. And then I did a degree at Wittenberg University, which is a, a small liberal arts college in Ohio. And I couldn't figure out a major, or it was hard. And in my day, when you went to college and you were a female, you had basically two choices, because that's a long time ago. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> um, it's back in the dark ages, and either you were a nurse or a teacher. Those, those, that's what you did. And not many people gave you advice or guidance for other things you might do. So I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I'm definitely not a nurse. Um, I hate the sight of blood. So, <laughs> And then what's sort of ironical is how did I choose physical education? Because I chose, I have a dual major in physical education and in English. And my mother was an English teacher and I saw her grading papers every night. And I decided I am choosing something that has no papers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. No papers. So I'm going to teach physical education. So I majored in physical education. And at Wittenberg, we had to participate in absolutely every sport that existed. It was required if you were a physical education major. Um, I wasn't the most talented, but I continued to swim and then when I graduated, I taught in Springfield, Ohio, again, for two years. And I taught junior high school physical education and English. I was the track coach, and I was the cheerleading advisor. After two years, I decided, I think there's something else I could do. <laughs> I need to move. I will go to graduate school. So I chose a graduate school according to somehow I got some advice from my undergraduate professors and I applied to several schools and I ended up at Teachers College Columbia University in New York City, which was a real shock to the Springfield, Ohio person. <laughs> my parents thought I was coming home the next day. Um, and so I got my master's there. And when I got my master's as part of uh, an assistantship, you taught in a s various positions because schools paid you. And I was the only physical education teacher and taught every grade from kindergarten to grade six in the gymnasium 
with no training, <laughs> no background um, for one year. And then after I finished my master's in a year, um, I taught upstate New York at New York State University at Geneseo. And there I taught physical education and I was the swimming coach for one year. And then at Columbia, they started a new program. Uh, the program was in motor learning and somebody by the name of Ann Gentile was my advisor um, because there was no sports psychology then. This is... 1968 and nine, <laughs> sports psychology didn't exist. So I went back because after being in Geneseo for one year, what I learned teaching at a university with no doctorate <coughs> was that you didn't have a voice. Um, people did not value what you had to say. So I did know I needed the doctorate. And since I was invited to be a grad assistant with all expenses paid for my doctorate, okay, I'm coming back to New York City. So I was there for three years, finished my doctorate in motor learning, and um, then went to teach to the, I chose another university. And I was going to talk about when faculty are at different universities, there are different reasons for choosing to move. And so I chose <coughs> Dalhousie University, which is a private university in Nova Scotia. Um, I chose it because it was the best job. That, that was the rationale for that. And I was there two years <coughs> as an assistant professor and finished writing my dissertation while I was teaching. And it was a very... <laughs> very challenging task and it no, just sure. done and my advisor was slow in turning things around but actually I finished the dissertation in 1972 and moved back to New York in 1971 uh, for the simple reason that instead of taking the best job now location became more important because I decided I was going to get married to somebody I dated when I was at Columbia. So now I need to get out of Halifax, Nova Scotia and Brooklyn College had a job opening. And, and I spent a wonderful 22 years there. I loved every moment. Um, I ended up being the graduate coordinator there uh, I loved the students, and I loved, and I lived in Manhattan, so it was just a wonderful fit. Um, then, one day, looking around all of Manhattan on a sunny afternoon, and I thought, either after 22 years, either I make a move and I go to a new place, or um, I stay here for the rest of my career. It's sort of like once you're in a place for so long, you're not going to move again. So it just so happened that the University of Wyoming had invited me for a presentation. And my son was going to school in Wyoming and my father lived in Wyoming. So I thought, okay, I'll go out and make a presentation. So I went out there and they said, oh, Bonnie, by the way, we have a job opening and we're looking 
for an associate dean to be in charge of our School of Physical and Health Education. Um, and it just evolved from there, sort of. And I ended up going to the University of Wyoming for six years. Uh, had a great time, got a lot of administrative experience. Um, at Wyoming, I came to another um, <clears throat> sort of crossroads. Uh, do I want to stay in administration and move up the university ladder in administration and sort of leave behind uh, my content area? And I discovered that my content area takes the prime position for me, and I do not want to be, like, there I was an associate dean, I don't want to be necessarily a dean or a provost. Um, so also Wyoming is Dick Cheney country, and coming from Manhattan and New York, and going to Wyoming, even though my father lived there for many years, he retired there, um, I found that those were not the, my politics. And I never realized it's important. But I learned from that experience that the political climate or the social climate that you're in matters to you as a person. Um, and, and, oh, I went to Wyoming also because Steve Heyman, who was an early president of APA Division 47, was killed in a hate crime the first year I was there. And Steve and I had been good friends both through uh, ASP and through uh, APA. Um, and we were going to have a joint doctorate between clinical psychology and sports sciences. Um, and of course, all of that became impossible with Steve's death, and it was a major loss. Um, so I decided I don't want to spend the rest of my life in Wyoming, even though I love Wyoming. I have family there. It's beautiful scenery. The rock climbing is terrific, and the skiing is hard to beat, but I need to leave. I, and so as you come to another job possibility, you make decisions about where do you want to live, where do you want to work, and what are the important factors intertwining that influence the quality of life. And so I decided, um, actually, there was Matthew Shepard's death, who was a student who was uh, killed on the close to the campus in Laramie, uh, that was a hate crime. And... Um, I just decided I'm leaving. That, that happened early fall. I said, I can't stay here. Um, so then I came to BGSU and I came here for two reasons. One, it's the best job. It's a great school and it's close to family because my mother lived in Ohio, still lived in Springfield. So with all of that, I said, okay, I will take the job as school director at Bowling Green. Um, and it was a very good choice. And I'm happy here, but it's sort of like it was sort of a circuitous path to figure out what kind of a university do you want to be at? What are the quality of the students? What's the majors? What's the role of sports psychology in the university? And what's it like to live there? Um, very complicated. If I wanted to say 
where was I, what was the best real fit for me, and where do I like to live? I like to live in Manhattan. Uh, Brooklyn College was good, but I had some wonderful times with family and good administrative experiences and could continue my research by moving. So, so it all worked out. But as I think about some people I know that make a life plan, you know, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. I'm saying I really didn't do that. I just sort of, depending on the situation and what was going on in my life, I took the next step without a master plan. And I think both ways are good ways to lead one's life. That, um, is there anything more? That was very windy. No, um, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. And so, I mean, you mentioned, you know, um, connecting with Steve and I had no, I didn't until that moment, you know, you shared that story, which I so very much appreciate. I didn't know that the two of you were, um, that you had known each other as, as well as it sounds like you did. And, um, uh, so pr thank you for, for, um, you know, bringing his name into this conversation too, because he is such an important special, um, you know, human being, you know, in our, in our profession, regardless of what organization affiliations, you know, we might have, if you take a broader scope, um, you know, he is so, um, you know, near and dear to so many people's hearts. I think that, um, Obviously, so much so that there's a memorial lecture in his honor, you know, for Division 47. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up. So it sounds like that was one of those significant or important moments um, in your career is being able to connect, and you know, with such important people. Um, mm -hmm. Not in just because of what they've done or what they mean to the field, but just because of who they are and the work that you can do together. Okay, Steve and I had been friends probably for a good five to ten years before I went to Wyoming. And the reason we were friends was we had talked among ourselves. First of all, our politics are the same. But uh, and he was in Wyoming, and I always my father had been in Wyoming for many many years. So we laughed among ourselves when we'd come to an ask meeting and say. Uh, we're the only two people that have ties, joint ties to Wyoming and to Brooklyn because Steve grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, so he would come to New York every spring break and stop by Brooklyn College to say hi when he was visiting his sister. So we, we were really good friends and saw eye to eye and could have had yeah. a good program started. But, absolutely. I also, um, one of the benefits of doing this podcast too, that I think wasn't something that we had intended, but has been such a lovely outcome is hearing names that some people may not be familiar with. Um, so before I was involved in APA, um, I wasn't really familiar with Steve Heyman's story. And now that I am, I hope that people who are listening to this who aren't take an opportunity to learn more about um, who Steve Heyman was um, and then also the the memorial lecture that APA puts on. It's such such a lovely tribute um, and really, I think, a nice, it's a nice gesture. And hopefully as we continue to broaden sport and sport becomes more in an inclusive space that these are important things that we continue to talk about and think about. And um, also, I just want to say, I think choosing to leave a place um, that maybe doesn't fit into your, into your value system is such an incredible decision to make that I imagine is not an easy one to make, but also an easy one to make at the same time. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, I have to ask a follow-up. I'm going off off script here, Bonnie, and I apologize, but because you lived in Brooklyn and then Wyoming and now Ohio, and I'm a, I'm a Missouri guy, and I love bagels. Where, can you get a good Brooklyn like style bagel in, in either Wyoming or Ohio, or is that something you had to sacrifice um, as a part of this? This I transition? used to bring them on the plane from New York <laughs> to Wyoming, and let me tell you, if you put a dozen garlic bagels in the open <laughs> compartment, it makes the whole plane smell of garlic. Um, and in Bowling Green, the only decent place for a bagel that, that is at all chewy is um, Panera's. Okay. Panera's <laughs> makes a decent bagel. I cannot get them at the grocery store or anywhere else. And when I go to New York, and I go fairly frequently, when I go to New York, my part of being in heaven is having a, a fresh bagel for breakfast with real cream cheese that's yeah. fresh instead of from the block of Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> um, bagels are very important. Oh, they are. Well, and I imagine that, you know, if, if you brought the locks on the plane too, and not just the, you know, the onion bagels that that, that probably amps up the, <laughs> the aroma a little bit as well. If there's a, if there's smoked salmon on there yeah. on the flight to Ohio. So, so anyway, you asked for other key things that happened. Look, can I just go quickly over a couple? Sure, I wanted please. Please. To say that in my career, something that was important to me um, and gave me confidence was that I was always a member of NASPA. By the way, I'm the charter member of NASPA, of APA Division 47. I collected... Um, uh, signatures for B when Bill Morgan was working on it. And I know he was the first president and Bill and I lifeguarded together. Bill <laughs> Morgan. Can you imagine Bill Morgan? If you know him and Bonnie Berger, um, I don't know. Uh, I won't say what year, but it was at <laughs> Dayton country club. And I think he was leaving Dayton he did maybe his master's there. And for two summers, he was the pool manager and I was a lifeguard. And people at conferences uh, would assume that I didn't know Bill Morgan. So I'd be walking around the hallway and somebody would say, Bonnie, let me introduce you to Bill Morgan. And they'd come over and they'd start the introductions. And Bill, who's usually very somewhat serious, would say, I remember Bonnie in a tank suit. <laughs> um, and so the second summer we parted and we figured we'd never see each other again um, because he was going to work on his doctorate and I was going to work on my master's at Columbia. So it's wow. just amazing, again, the twists and turns that, life takes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of two summers every day working with Bill Morgan to make sure nobody drowns. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's that's important work too. So Yeah. Such a so, small world. But what I was starting to say with NASPA did it, was that in 1970 of NASPA, um, 
that I received the Outstanding Dissertation of the Year Award. And that was meaningful to me coming from Columbia when there weren't many, not much sports psychology, if any, and coming from motor learning and for to get the outstanding dissertation. It, it just meant to me that I was heading in the right direction and somebody else thought what I did was worthwhile. So that was very meaningful. Um, and then I was going to say, Another turning point for me, and this is directly related to ASP, is the formation of ASP in 1986. That really mattered to me, and uh, I was going to the conference. I was, at the time, a good friend of Michael Sachs, because I guess we had met in NASPA and through his advisor, Dave Pargman, down at Florida State. So I knew Michael for many years. Um, and Michael put Kate in touch with me uh, because Kate was looking for a roommate. So as of the first uh, ASP conference on Jekyll Island until the last time I physically saw Kate, we, we videoed a lot, but the last conference of ASP was the Toronto conference that she was at, and that's her hometown at the time. Right. Um, that she's a good, became such, among my best personal friends and professional friends, and you say, why go to an ASK conference to exchange ideas and opinions and to get new enthusiasm and energy for what you're doing back home? You know, you take it from the conference back. And in reflection and, and in preparing my thoughts for today, um, I had to ask myself, well, why did Kate and I become such good friends? Um, and I was deciding, Kate grew up in New York, and New York's my favorite place. Actually, her mother lived two, do two doors down from my best friend that I still stay with in Manhattan. Um, we were uh, both divorced. We both had only one child and a son about the same ages. Um, so, and, and we both liked the arts of music and visual arts. Um, so that we just matched in a lot of ways. And so, oh, and we both exercise. Exercise is an important part of our lives. And so Kate became a best friend um, and I miss her so. I just wanted to bring that up that 1986 was the year I met Kate and we became uh, roommates at every ASP thereafter and that I've been at every ASP except one. I missed one uh, when I was on sabbatical at the University of Western Australia and just didn't want to come back from Australia. <laughs> it's a long plane ride. Perth. Sure. I mean, it's not even Sydney. It's, way on the other side. So um, those are some uh, important uh, moments, I guess, for me. Thank you for sharing those. And then kind of to Megan's point before too, just the idea that other people are, they play such a significant role in a lot of these memorable experiences that seems like so far most, if not every past president. Um, and then I would, I would go on to, 
you know, suggest probably others that have not served yet, um, that they're pretty important people in their lives and the profession that tend to stand out when we ask a question like that or think about, you know, kind of reflecting on, uh, you know, some of those more memorable experiences. And, and you, you pick some some real gems, you know, in the, in the field, but also just as human beings to, to share with us. We really appreciate that. You've already touched on this a bit, but we'd love to get a snapshot of the field of sports psychology prior to your presidential service. So your presidential service, 2010, and then president-elect right before that. Um, how would you describe the field of sport and exercise psychology around that time? Okay. I'm, you're, you can see me uh, and... Um, I forgot to tell you something important in my life. Can we backtrack? Yeah. Or say, Open. Okay. Go for it. One, one more thing uh, that's important to my stages of career, let's say, is that I wrote two different books. And the books are important. And I, I brought, not that you can see it at all, but um, I wrote a book on free weights that nobody knows about. But it's called Free Weights for Women. And it's a, I would say, a real ego book, so to speak, because I, I am the the, um, my, the person in all the pictures. Wow. Oh my goodness! Yeah, me. this is what, when I need I was a video component. In, There's no video. When I was in good shape. That's, that's great. Um, and the way. And it was Simon and Schuster. And the way this book came about was I didn't go out to write a book on weight training for women. Um, I wanted to write, and I still would like to write, a trade public, not a trade. Uh, yeah, it's called a trade for the general population on exercise. The, how do you make exercise work for you in your life is what I was trying to get a commercial publisher for. And I had an agent and the agent was pushing me into various publishers to go talk to them. And when I went to Simon and Schuster, I talked to this woman who was in charge of fireside books. And, and she, she said, Bonnie, I have a book I want you to write. <laughs> you know, here I am with wanting to write about exercise psychology. And I said, oh, what's what's that? <laughs> it's weight training. She said, can you write it? I said, yeah, yeah I, I can write it. So that's how this came about. This is my trade publication of uh, a fun book. And then something that's dear to my heart is this textbook that took a lot of time because it's not edited. And... This is the third edition, and the third edition was in 2015, and the first and second were in two, oh, 2002 and 2007. And the first time around, my two co-authors were um, David Pargman and Bob Weinberg. And then the second edition, we still, the three of us worked to update it and have 25% new, which is the requirement. And it was published by Fitness Information Technology at West Virginia University. And Andy Astro was the person who had suggested this book to begin with, 
Wave. And the first edition was in 2002. I probably started it in 1992. <laughs> it took me 10 years to get these, whatever, 25 chapters done. And uh, David and Bob both active with it. Um, and then after David retired, he didn't want to do it anymore. So then Bob Eklund joined Bob and me and uh, the three of us did it. And it was really a joy to work with them. And <coughs> I think it was 19, no, 2015, the same day year that the uh, third edition came out, the three of us authors had a lovely uh, dinner in Bern, Switzerland, which was where there was a FIPSAC conference. So at FIPSAC, we celebrated the third edition. And th those are just things that are dear to my heart. So thanks sure. for letting me highlight those. Of course, of course. Thank you. <coughs> if you send us a picture of you doing those exercises, we'll post it with the podcast. Can you use that as cover art? Everyone should see it. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of work because the pictures were all taken in one day. Oh, wow. Oof. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Now, now I can go to the next. Perfect. So, um, just a snapshot of ASP in the field of sports psych prior to you uh, running for president. So around that time. All right. <laughs> it's hard to figure out where to begin. I, um, I would say just as I was running for office, uh, the the field of sports psych was, I think, becoming a much more visible uh, of, and particularly exercise psych because of the fact that there was the um, data suggesting that the epi the obesity epidemic was increasing and it was a worldwide problem and not just a U.S. problem. And so it has major implications for people's health as well as how in the world do we encourage people to be physically active their whole lives throughout the lifespan to have both. And, and I hate to separate out physical and mental health. Um, but we often do. And, and I think that exercise is something that definitely influences a person's subjective well-being and their overall quality of life throughout their lives. And from my point of view, at this advanced age, I think that exercise becomes increasingly important as a person becomes older, because younger people can go without exercise and the effects aren't accumulating for quite as long a period of time. <coughs> so that has immense um, social values, let's say, and people recognize it's important. And if <coughs> we can figure out how to encourage more people to be sufficiently physically active and enjoy it, um, we might make a million dollars for ASP. But but that's the field. Um, and then ASP, what I was saying, as I was uh, just beginning to be pre the presidential term, uh, I think they were emphasizing the research practitioner model and saying that both research and practice are crucial uh, to one another and that one without the other 
is not just half as good, it's less than half good. Um, I, I think at ASP, uh, as I came on as president, the conference was one of the key undertakings and uh, we were working very hard to um, <clears throat> locate outstanding keynote pre presenters that were focusing on research as well as application. Um, and that the annual conference was where everybody came to le learn new information, to learn what's happening in the field, and to make new connections. <coughs> so that's sort of the, the way ASP felt to me and what was going on when I started. So then someone reached out to you, or maybe you thought on your own, hey, I might be able to make a difference here. Um, what motivated you to take that next step and run for president? Okay, <laughs> good question. Um, I think it was my devotion to sports psychology and belief of the field and serving on ASK committees. Uh, I th and, and I have, I was um, on the first committee, what did they call it? They called it health and exercise psychology section. And Michael Sachs in 1986 was on the executive board and I was on that committee. And then uh, three years later, when Michael finished his term, I followed him on the e-board for those, uh, for that, to emphasize the exercise and health psych. Um, so then I was on the ethics committee from 1992, I wrote to 94. I was on the Dorothy Harris Memorial Award Committee from 94 to 96, and, and Dorothy Harris was a good friend of mine, and I just loved her book, The Psychosomatic Rationale for Physical Activity. Um, I was uh, on the uh, Certified Consultants Committee, Review Committee, and I chaired the committee from 94 to 96, and worked with Rich Gordon and Ralph Vernacchia and Trent Petrie, though, so that those were people that I didn't usually interact with. So, so I had really a good time with those. Uh, I was a member of the Fellows Review Committee from 2000, well, this was after being president, 2014 to 2016, and then 2018 and 2021. Uh, and then I was on the editorial board of JASP and the sports psychology what in action. Um, so I believed in ASP and ASP was my major organization where I put my energies. Um, and from being an administrator at different universities, I thought that I could help the e-board uh, perhaps become a little bit more efficient because the e-board when I was president um, was putting in a lot of time. And so we, during that year I was president, we came to the conclusion that we would need to change uh, management firms. And that was a tough decision. And there were a lot of differences of opinions. Um, and we had to go through the whole um, process of making the decision and then interviewing firms. In fact, I can remember driving with Jack Lessig 
this this is not just as I became president. This is at the end of my presidency. I drove with Jack, Jack Lessig in his Mini Cooper. He came from Cleveland to Bowling Green, and then we went to Indianapolis to interview uh, management firms, and that's when we selected Kent and his company. Um, but but that that was a major issue. But anyway, how I thought I could do it, I thought I was a good administrator and I cared about ASP and it was my, as I said, my primary unit uh, committee and organization, even though APA, I was a charter member and I, and I am a, uh, a fellow in APA. So I value the organization. It just met at a tough time of the year usually in August, <laughs> yeah. school was starting and, and I just felt I couldn't go in quite so many directions. So, so I thought, oh, and then the real reason is I got a call, a telephone call from Glenn Roberts. Uh, okay. <laughs> Without a telephone call, I wouldn't have thought maybe I should try this. This wasn't my idea. I got a call from Glenn, who I followed subsequently as um, president, and he said, Bonnie, would you consider running for president of ASP? And, oh, I don't know if I want to share this. This is the third time that I had been asked to run for president of ASP. The third. And there aren't too many of us, but there are several others who at conferences come up to me and say they have run twice and didn't get elected. And I have what? Per persistence. <laughs> or maybe sure. I don't have too much of a fear of failure. If you've already lost twice and you get a call from Glenn, who's a good friend through the years, and said, Bonnie, would you consider running for president? I said, yes. You know why? I was just finishing my term as school director and would have theoretically, which is not accurate, I always think I'm going to have more time than I do, <laughs> and I wouldn't have time to do this. So so I said yes to Glenn. I didn't even say, I'll call you back. I just said yeah. yes. So that's what motivated me. Yeah. Well, we're glad you gave it a third shot. What? specifically, or um, when you think back to why you were running for president or during, what were you hoping to accomplish as president? Oh, um, well, as president, as you know, you've spent a whole year as president-elect, and so you're hearing what's going on, and you sort of, in a way, continue the same things that are happening, because that's what ASK needs, rather than impose your own personal goals for the organization. If you can work those in all well and good, but you want some continuity between the presidencies. Um, and so I would say uh, my presidential address uh, and the title of it highlighted what I wanted to have happen. Uh, and so I wrote down here the title of celebrating 25 years of ASP, looking back looking at the future as we chart the next 25 years. Um, and so by looking back and looking at the present, we can figure out where we're going. And 
that's sort of what ASP is doing right now also. So it's very apt that we're doing this on the 25th year. And what is this year, the 36th? I don't we actually were just we were just talking about this the other day. Yeah, so we're on um, 38. 38. Okay. So, so strategic planning was a major goal. And so we interviewed strategic planning firms, selected one, and were actually going through the whole planning process the year that I was president. Um, my, some of my personal goals, which uh, reflect the history of ASP in the past, would be to have the best conference possible for all of our members to keep the enthusiasm going and to have it be a real learning situation for people. Uh, hopefully every time we, we all go to an ASK conference, we come back with new, new ideas and new information and who to contact and whose research or procedures do we want to get in touch with. Um, and also increasing the number of certified consultants. It, that was always important and it's taken many, many years to get it going to, uh, and a lot of effort because people were sort of confused outside of sports psychology, what the certification meant and whether it was important. We still have that sort of as a battle, I think. Um, and that ties into the future of ASP is are we, uh, and, and a question I have is what's the goal? role of exercise psychology and ask, but we'll save that for the end uh, because that's a very serious question. Uh, but uh, certification was a major initiative and increasing international members. When I was president, we had 38 countries represented and I'm sure by now we have many, many more. Um, we resumed the in-house publication of the graduate directory and we, when I was president, we had the first university-based course in ethics. It was the first time, I think, uh, who, uh, what's his name, at West Virginia offered the Ed course. Ed Yes, yes, Ed. Um, and he then offered it for many, many years, and it was a mainstay and, and very successful in helping people get the university credits in the certification areas that they needed, so... That, those were the major accomplishments or what I wanted to happen. Of those, that's a, a big list. What would you say looking back were your main accomplishments or maybe even just what stands out to you most about what you accomplished as president? Say that again. Yeah. What, what would you say as you look back on all of those, would you think stands out the most or would you say it was like your major accomplishment? Maybe it's all of them. Awesome. Difficult. Um, my major accomplishment. Well, one that we had to do was change management firms. <laughs> we had no, really no choice. And things were not working real well. And it, it was a very difficult time for everybody that was on the e-board uh, to make their own contributions because things were in upheaval. Um, and I felt like I was keeping the peace 
and, and that was a real challenge. Um, that took a lot of time and energy. Um, an easy one from my point of view is to make sure that the conference quality is top, top rate and the best we can possibly get it and that we have wonderful uh, keynote speakers. Uh, because I find that exciting and the whole conference exciting. And I wanted everybody to have the best conference experience that they could. And while I was president, the conference was in Hawaii, which was both a challenge because people had to take more time off from work and it cost more money, but it was also very exciting. And uh, <coughs> so that was... Um, something that I thought was a major accomplishment. We've never been back to outside of the, even the continent, mm -hmm. um, whether, even though Hawaii is the U.S., but we haven't gone internationally. Um, so it's the best conference, international memberships, certification, management firm are sort of the, the bread and butter, I guess, as well as, of course, strategic planning. And strategic planning is a challenge if it's going to be useful. You know, it, it's an exercise. Some, some, sometimes you just sort of feel that you're going through the motions and you don't necessarily agree with things. Um, but strategic planning is what the organizational members want. And that then brings up an important question of who's providing input and which groups are represented. And within ASP, how do we encourage more members to become members for their entire professional lives? I think people come and go from ASP membership and sometimes have unrealistic expectations, I guess, maybe, of what ASP can offer. Um, and we have to, be, I feel like we have to be practical and do what we can with the resources and the time and energy that we've got. So, so it's hard to do strategic planning that's meaningful, I guess. It's, so, so that's when I was, the year I was president, what we were focusing on. Interesting. Thanks for re-examining that. Well, it's quite a bit. And the cool thing I think about that is the organization is still engaged in a strategic planning process and obviously just finished at the time of this recording, at least just finished that most recent one and, and released that to the, to the membership. So clearly um, it was the start of something quite important and valuable as we still see it occurring today. So, so thank you for, for that investment because it, it's still happening. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope that's, I think that's a good sign. I think that's a good yeah. sign. So so we're going to give you a quick break here in the podcast in terms of um, letting you maybe share a favorite story of yours um, as it pertains to your time in the field. So um, without really much of a prompt from us, um, anything really goes for, for this one. So, But a story that maybe as you reflect on it um, kind of brings a smile to your face and with, although there are no points in the podcast, we will give you bonus points. Anyway, they don't mean anything, but you get bonus points if you're able to um, involve other members of ASP in whatever story you might choose to share. Okay. Um, hard to say. Um, 
if I go in numerical order for different fun, th fun things, is in 1984, I was on the late night show with David Letterman. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> there we go. That, that counts. In 84, <laughs> I was publicizing my weight training book. And I was a spokesperson for some a weight company. And so I had an agent, actually, that was getting me on TV programs, which I, I was on a variety. But David Letterman's the most memorable one. And um, my... What David Letterman wanted me to do, and what I actually did, was he wanted me to measure his fitness level. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then I should also say that as I was doing this, the person that was on David Letterman, the same show as I was on, um, is somebody by the name of Grace Jones. Do you Have you heard of Grace Jones? Do you have any idea? Okay, when we finish this, check her. <laughs> I'll <laughs> But she was sort of a cabaret singer, a former model. Uh, and it, this was, David Letterman was, was live. And so I walked into the green room and there she was. And it was raining. Um, and so it was a dark night. And Grace Jones is this, what should, I don't even know how to describe her. But her, she had. She's a black person who's. I'm tall, but she has to be at least. I'm five ten, so she's six feet, and she had on at least three or four inch high heels, all in black, and a big top hat in black. And I thought, I've never seen a witch, but I think this could be a witch. I, just, just the the whole ambiance, and 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 so she's just a phenomenal person. But I had no idea before I walked in who I was going to be with. I had no idea at all. Just like you don't either. I had no idea who Grace Jones was, but I just knew this is an exceptional person. So, so that was sort of a uh, what should I say? A most enjoyable sure. introduction to exotic people in New York City. Um, but uh, I, so I was on with Grace Jones, and I was on the show for a half hour. Wow! As I was testing David Letterman's fitness level, and and they had told me before I got on the show you know, they planned what to do. So I said, okay, we need a balance beam or something to measure back. Because if you're measuring fitness, you want to measure balance and strength and flexibility. And, and I put together, I just made it up, <laughs> but I put together all the basic uh, fitness categories. And David Letterman, unknown to me, um, was very serious about his fitness level and so he really cared that he came out well. Um, and so we tried different things on the, on the show for a half hour, um, such as, you know, easy things like touching your toes or strength could be a one leg, one leg 
raise when you go down to the floor and back up on one leg, if you could do that. Legs are pretty strong. So I just made up some of those things, and he had a great time. And um, the show was enough of a positive rating that they showed it about three times that year. And my students got a kick out of it. So, so that was something that was fun. Um, and then in 1986, and I have another show and tell, uh, this says New York City Marathon, 1980. Right. This is my pencil holder. It was a water, water bo <laughs> box. And Kate Hayes and I were on the psyching team for the New York City Marathon in 86 and maybe 85. And so Kate came over to my house, stayed overnight because we had to be at the public library at 4 a.m., we did training the day before with the or the psyching team organizers. Um, and then we all took a bus from the public library to Staten Island, where the beginning of the race was. And then we mixed with um, all of the runners for about two hours, you know, because we, we were there at 4.30. <laughs> and... Um, then they, after the runners all left, they took us by bus to Central Park and we hung out at the finish of the race and helped many of the runners that were in pain get to the first aid tents. But we also, the runners tend to be very spent. And, and so we were just applying psychological first aid. Um, so we did that for two years. And after two years, I decided me being an exercise rather than sport psychology, uh, that I don't like getting up at 4 a.m. And so Kate at that point went on to start the psyching team in New Hampshire, which is where she was at the time, and then subsequently in Toronto. But uh, those are just um, happy memories um, of fun things that we did and things for me that were a little bit out of character for me because – what am I going to talk about as far as finishing a race? But the, the um, work, working as a member of the psyching team, you realize how individualized everybody's issues are at the start of a race as to are they, how many races have they run before? Um, how well trained are they? How many injuries do they have? What are they coping with? And, going across various bridges was always a challenge for some. So, so we heard just many stories. And I think the one story from the psyching team that touched my heart the most was a woman who was very emotional and was running the race. And her husband had been her coach. And she'd run many marathons and she was skilled. But her husband had been her coach, and he he entered her in the race and so that she got won the lottery. And then he died. Mm. And by running the race, she felt she was losing ties to her husband. Um, so so that that gives you an idea of the broad spectrum of issues that when you get, 25,000 people together, what you will encounter. But uh, oh, sure. Wow. It was interesting. 
So what else do I have here for more memorable times? Uh, I guess a few, uh, here's a funny one, 1979. This one I'm doing for Michael Sachs. Uh, <laughs> Michael Sachs' parents lived in New York. And so every time Michael was in the marathon, he'd stop in from wherever he was living at the time and see me in, in Manhattan. And so in 1979, I was at a conference called the International Congress of Physical Education and NASPA was a joint conference in 79 and it was in Trois-Rivières, Canada. And because it was there, I said to Michael in advance, I said, I'll stop in and I'll spend the weekend with your, at your house. And he says, fine. Um, but I hadn't really put too, too much thought into it. And later during my stay there at Trois-Rivières, I heard Faye, his wife, talking to her parents. And, and he laughs about this and Faye does, of apparently, I don't know, they must have just gotten married that year, maybe two months earlier. And so she was, it was on a weekend, on a Saturday morning, she was talking to her parents down in Florida. And Mike, and Faye says to her parents, Michael's friend Bonnie is staying with us this weekend. And her parents say, Michael's friend Bonnie, <laughs> what do you got a Bonnie <laughs> staying with you? So, so I, I was an early visitor to the two of them. Um, and so that was always a chuckle piece. And then some highlights and, and to say how you never know at ASK conferences what are wonderful things that will occur. Wonderful events for me was uh, after the, in 2010, after the Utah, uh, Salt Lake City uh, meeting of ASP. Uh, Kate Hayes and I went to the uh, Utah Symphony, and it was the uh, cir the circus. What is it? Cirque? Whatever. Oh, Cirque du Soleil, maybe. With with the symphony, and it was just an exquisite program with lots of movement, and it was just a real treat to be there. And a friend of Kate's had the tickets for her. Um, and then something else Kate and I did, along with uh, Betsy Schoenfeld, who is currently president-elect of ASP, um, Betsy and Kate and I went to the Heard Museum when ASP met in Phoenix, and we had a grand tour by a, a classmate of Kate's from elementary school, who was a phys physician then in Phoenix. But it's the Heard Museum is very well known for Native American art, and, and it's something I love from just my years in Wyoming. I, by the way, when I was at the University of Wyoming for six years, my father retired out there for 25 years. So I've been going to Jackson and shopping and buying lots of Native American artwork um, for years. I, I have more than I need. Uh, you can always use one a little bit more. <laughs> and then I was going to say something else that's important to me that was fun was in uh, 1985, I went to ISSP, the International Sports Psychology Organization. In 85, it was in Copenhagen, and that's where I met Gene Williams and uh, also Mark Anderson, who used to come to ASP a lot. 
Uh, and so, the, and I also met somebody by the name of John Kabat Zinn there. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a person that talks about mindfulness. And he and I were both on the program together. And he was saying, um, because he was ta talking about yoga a little bit at the time. And he was just saying how important exercise psych was and that he and I were the only two doing research in the area. <laughs> and I think he went on to great heights and then there's Bonnie. Who <laughs> <laughs> was on Letterman. I don't think Cabot Zinn was ever on Letterman. But but I, I knew him before he was well known. <laughs> okay, he did he was in Copenhagen. And then uh, I have uh, sort of uh, Joy was riding a camel in Marrakesh, which was the 2010 ISSP. And then uh, Stephanie Hanrahan and Mary Jo McCracken and I were all at the uh, China one in Beijing, ISSP in 2015. And at that conference, Jack, Jack Watson did me a huge favor. Uh, my mother at the time was still alive. So this is 2000 and was it 2015, maybe 2014. Um, we, Jack helped me get a telephone call through to her because at the time it was very hard to make phone calls from China and I couldn't do it on my computer. And somehow Jack had all the magic connections and knew how to do it. So I went and used his computer, and I will be forever grateful to Jack. Um, and at that conference also, I met someone by the name of Yin, Kai, Yin Kai Chang. And Yin Kai is the one who organized the last ISSP uh, that was in Taiwan. And I was in a buffet line in, in, in Beijing for some for lunch and being a good New Yorker, I eat, ate, have eaten in Chinatown a lot. And I know what real Chinese food is versus Americanized Chinese. So here I am in Beijing and I'm a little bit of a fussy eater in that I only like, I don't want any unusual foods, whatever you, however you describe them, I don't want unusual. And so I was going through here and I was saying to this person right next to me who was Chinese, I said, what's this? And what's in here? And he was giving me all these descriptions and helping me choose carefully what I eat and what I don't eat. And then my good friend, Mary Jo McCracken, who used to come to ASP a lot uh, and teaches at the University of Akron, um, introduced me to Yin Kai. He said to Yin Kai, and who are you? And, and, and then this is Bonnie Berger. He says, Bonnie Berger. And so he just was so enthusiastic that he had used my textbook and he wanted to write a chapter for my textbook. And this, you know, we have three authors in all three, three editions and we don't have guest authors but Yin Kai became the only person in the third edition, and his specialty is cognitive functioning and exercise, which is something the three of us really were not experts in, and he 
uh, contributed that chapter. And then he was in subsequent symposia with me and other ISSPs. So it's just, here you are standing in a buffet line and getting sort of the life's basics taken care of, of what are you choosing to eat? And then you find out people's names and then they you make different connections and you never see where those connections are going to ultimately go, which I think is the exciting thing about traveling and going to conferences so that I'm not just talking about one person. I'm saying whoever goes to a conference is going to run into the same kinds of similarities with people they meet. And it's very exciting and, and rewarding and people become subsequent good friends. So let's see, is there anything else? Okay, I think that that covers most everything. They're great. Think of the sort of fun and different. I, listen, I, I will say um, this will be a separate podcast maybe in terms of the the people we encounter in our travels for, for conferences. I was in Beijing as well. Jack Watson and I traveled quite a bit together. I won't share all the stories from that experience, <laughs> but I do think that might be our next podcast uh, like idea as a whole is because we could probably fill up um, several episodes of, of those escapades because um, there are some pretty, there are some wonderful things that, that do happen. Um, you know, when you, when you have the pleasure and the privilege to, to travel, number one, but then you spend that time with, and he is, uh, let's just say he is, uh, wonderful at, at, um, there's never like a quiet period uh, or downtime and he knows how to fill the, fill the space and the time. And, and it's usually quite amusing. Um, and when he listens to this episode, uh, he'll, I'm sure. He's probably worried about what you're going to say. Yeah. I won't, I won't go into any of the details. I won't go into the details, uh, but that's why we're able to edit things, um, <laughs> which is which is good, which is good. So and we've already interviewed him, so um, he doesn't get to come back on. <laughs> <laughs> I think so much of your stories too just really highlight the importance of moving out of our comfort zone when we're at conferences and talking to people. Um, and I remember um, at the conference in Toronto, actually, I ended up at a table with you and Amy Botzell. Um, and so like, you just never really know, like who you're going to sit next to and the conversations that are going to come up. And so really the wonderful connections that can be made when that happens. So I think that's really wonderful. In what ways do you feel like the field has evolved? And then the second part of how it's evolved, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that evolution? Maybe both good and bad about what it looks like now well okay i know that one question had to do with the with the field mm -hmm. and one has to do with how asp has evolved and either way uh, yeah but so so with the field i would say you're just talking about i i don't know what the field is anybody doing sport and exercise and performance psychology yeah so is that the field Actually, that's a really great question because that's come up before too in just conversations about ASP is sports psychology in the title, but then the certification is mental performance. And then you have people who are working in the arts as well. So I think your question actually really highlights a bigger aspect that the field, what is the field? Um, and so I guess any way that you would want to answer that 
feels like the right way to answer it to me. Okay. I will take a stab. Um, Perfect. But my definition or view of the field of sports psychology is what ASP has always said to me for years and years when I say, well, where's the exercise psychology? Well, if you define find sports psychology broadly, sport the, ter- the term sports psychology includes exercise psychology. Um, you could, I could be argumentative. I shouldn't be on a podcast and say, really, everything is exercise psychology because you exercise in sport, but you don't sport in exercise. <laughs> um, but uh, that's back to my textbook and a figure that's in there. <laughs> um, sports psychology to me has to do with physical activity, both recreational physical activity, which would be exercise, and comp- as it po- contrasted with competitive physical activity, which to me is sport. Um, and that sports psychology does not include performance psychology, or it's it, if you made a pie or something, maybe a sliver, or you're talking about sport performance. But I think sports psychology includes more than just sport performance. Performances did your team, to my way of thinking, did your team win or lose, and are you getting better with each event, each game? Um, performances, how skilled I am, to my way of thinking. Um, So exercise psychology is how does moving affect exercise, how does moving affect well-being? Um, And a lot of times in sports psychology, again, I think we think about outcome more than we think about quality of life for the athletes, the quality of life or their well-being, depending on how broad you want to be. Um, so, so to me, what's happening with the field is that, um, is that it's becoming much more known and socially relevant. And so I think exercise psychology influences such a broad base of people, uh, whether you're skilled or unskilled, uh, whether you're whatever age you happen to be at, whether you're seven years old and just starting to be on a team, or whether you're 80 years old and trying to maintain your physical strength so that you can walk and do the activities of daily living. Um, So I think the field is growing. I think it's exceedingly socially relevant that people care about it. Um, uh, I think uh, we're, we're gaining knowledge. Um, I think we're still dealing with what uh, certified consultants are of uh, 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 finding jobs and figuring out how people can get reimbursed um, and then this basically using the scientist practitioner model to say our, our practices reflecting our current state of knowledge. Uh, 
So I, th I think the field is becoming much stronger. I think there's a wider variety of participants um, and a lot of organizations interested in sports psychology. And one that comes to mind immediately is uh, ACSM. Um, they have a very strong contingent of sport and, and exercise psychology. In fact, a lot of my former students go to ACSM rather than ASP. Um, and speaking of ACSM and, and, and sports psychology, though, ACSM has a, what do they call it, um, sort of a, a outstanding speaker that one year, I think it alternates between APA and ACSM, then an APA person goes to ACSM to talk. And another year, an ACSM person comes to APA and Division 47 to talk. And one year I did that, maybe about five years ago, uh, and talked about um, basically, well, it was looking at uh, the role of exercise in, in treating obesity. And I was the APA representative uh, to ACSM. So... I think that the, the field of sports psychology is becoming broader and that more people and more organizations are having people work in those areas, whereas in the old days, the, the field was almost restricted to just the people in ASP or NASPA who went to the conferences. And I think that's reflected by ASP and the number of increase in, in members in the organization. Um, I think in it, when I was president, there were 1,500, and now I think there's 2,500 members of ASP. Uh, so, so the field is growing. It's very healthy. Um, it's very broad, it, you know, regardless of how we define the field. And I think it's exciting times um, because the door's wide open for people to look at a variety of areas, whether it's performance psychology or mental health um, or lifetime participation uh, for broad, broad individuals. So, so I'm, I'm very optimistic that the field, whatever it quote unquote, will continue to grow. And I wish everybody great success in their research and their practice. Well, and kind of, you know, you may have, I think, highlighted some of, of this already. Um, you know, our next question is really about, you know, where you feel like ASP and the field are going. So maybe another way to, to ask that or think about that is if there would be anything else you might add to what you've already shared from the previous question um, that maybe we just didn't really get a lot of, of detail from um, in terms of what, what's next. Okay, I think, uh, I, and that's a very important question. Uh, I think I'd leave, yes, that's where I see the field. I see ASP and the field diverging and becoming different more so than in the past. And it's great that there's the strategic planning going on so that ASP 
begin, it continues to question where is its uh, energies going. And, and when I say it's diverging, um, and I, I don't want to sound, uh, what, negative, which I could. It's not meant to be negative. Um, when ASP was formed, and, e and then Robin Veely was instrumental in making the change from the three divisions to just general topics and different organization within ASP. I, and through my presidency at the conference, even though the, the uh, exercise and sport and social psych went were, were not officially positions on the e-board. At the conference, we still had equal numbers of um, presentations and keynotes for the three areas, which kept us broad from my point of view. Um, and when you say, what is sports psychology? It includes group interactions, and it includes sport and competition, and it includes all the other movement things that we go to yoga classes and we go to um, cycling classes. We and we use it for our well-being, or to look better, or to lose weight, whatever. Um, and that's who, what I think sports psychology is. And ASK says it's the Association for Applied. So, okay, we have to make it work for people. Applied sports psychology. Well, part of sports psychology is not performance psychology. And that I had, you know, as you know, Kate was my dear friend and my roommate. But how could you be so enthusiastic about performance psychology? Yes, you can use the same approaches of whatever, all of the different techniques for goal setting and self-talk and this and that. Um, if you are planning to be a lawyer presenting at the Supreme Court or you're a, a physician uh, operating on someone's brain, you still got to handle stress and, and be focused. Um, but I don't think there's as much research. I don't think there are many graduate programs in that area. And I, I think we need to, for ASP, needs to go cautiously in that area and develop a, a wealth or a, a steady base of, of, of research so that we continue the scientist practitioner model. Um, and do uh, another question for ASP is, does ASP want to leave behind, which it is doing, whether, whether it's spoken or not, leave behind the exercise psychology part? Um, it's, it's where the funding is. It's where we can have the biggest impact on quality of life on broad numbers of people. Therefore, it's more jobs and less exclusionary looking at what everybody wants or the, to work with elite athletes. Um, 
I don't know why, except that people like to follow sport and therefore you get to be closer to the athletes as a sports psychologist than just watching the Super Bowl at home on your TV. Um, but I find that a little troublesome. I don't have any answers and I'm not throwing stones. Um, ASP, and people have said to me, when, if I bring this up at a meeting, people will say, well, Bonnie, just go join another organization. Um, that's sort of hard to do. It's not hard to do. I've, I've, you know, and the one that they, everyone sends me to is one of my old, my previous best organization, which is NASPA. Um, but it loses something and ASP loses something. And ASP is the organization that's dear to my heart. But I have increasingly difficult times finding relevant programs that I want to listen to. I, I can be entertained and listen to the athletes. Um, but there's more to sports psychology than that. So... I think that the strategic planning that ASP is going through uh, is very important. Uh, I, I'm a bit frightened as an individual of what the outcome might be because I see what, what is happening. Um, and I'm suggesting that if ASP wants to do something exciting, it might add a certification process for exercise psychology and bring some people back uh, and keep the average person as a focus. I think Jack talked about it in his press comments uh, that he likes working with high school athletes rather than college or professional. Um, I think there's room for everybody, and I think that's what sports psychology is. Uh, so I hesitate. I, I'm very hesitant to be a naysayer and say sports psychology is one thing, and then ASP is sort of spinning off. Uh, do you want to spin it back a little bit? And is that going old-fashioned? I don't think so. I think it's looking at what our society needs. Uh, our organization and society as a whole needs. Okay. So, so I, to answer your major question is, how is ASP in the field going? I think currently they're diverging. Um, I'm there at ASP because I care. And my friends are there. And I can find good things on the program. And sure. Well, we appreciate you sharing that, that perspective. So this is one of my favorite parts about the podcast because I finally get to talk. Um, what, <laughs> finally, in a good way. Um, what advice do you have for students and new professionals entering into the field? That's a fun one. I like that question. Okay, it's less serious. Well, <laughs> because and it's so nice to have enthusiastic students. Um, my first comment would be or suggestion would be to join sport and exercise psychology organizations. And you might want to join two or three. You might join APA and NASPA and ASP and, and see what's going on in them all just to be knowledgeable. So you could pay your money and join. It's expensive, but might be worthwhile. 
um, and then attend a con the conferences. <laughs> then you're going to have to choose, but you get something very much different from going to a conference than you get from just the emails or the journal. Uh, so you want to meet people and get some ideas from the keynote speakers and some of the uh, other sessions. And then uh, volunteer for committees. Don't be shy. Volunteer and put in your time. It's work. Uh, and it's the old adage of you get out of something what you put in. You know, the more you do, the more you will benefit. Um, and so it's exciting to work with other people and to figure out how committees function and what their roles are and how people get awards and how people are evaluated even in the process of for the awards. So volunteer. Um, and I put down that some members of ASS, since I'm assuming that if this is on the ASP website, I'm talking to ASP students, uh, some people might consider acad the academic world rather than totally in the consulting area. Um, it's been very good to me. Uh, I've enjoyed every minute. I like the playing of with ideas. I like interacting with students and constantly learning, learning new things as you come up to date with the literature. And, and, and they're the wonderful travel opportunities uh, for going to conferences and presenting your research or your ideas. Uh, let's hope there's some jobs out there for you. So um, then I would just say have fun in your pro whole professional life. Um, and what fun means is don't take it quite so too seriously, whatever that means. I, I'm a serious person and I'm telling you not to take it personally. Um, but just sort of uh, take advantage of all the opportunities around you, even though you don't know where they might lead. And the, the, the rewarding part of all of this, of joining organizations and going to conferences and exploring lots of different possible directions in sports psychology is that the reward I've got down is lifelong friendships. Uh, just get out there and meet people and sort of see where your path leads instead of going in a straight line all the time. So that's, those are my encouragements. Any questions for me in regard to that? I don't think so. I think you've touched on a lot of different buckets and the lifelong friendship seems to be a common theme amongst ASP members, especially very, conferences. Very meaningful, yes. Yeah, it, it has a, an impact on your life. Katie, why weren't you taking any notes? I was so engaged that. in what she was. Okay, good. <laughs> I was so making proud. sure. There's a lot. There's a lot of good like nuggets and of wisdom in there. Yeah, so. I would say even because I think I'm on my last year of being an early career professional. That a lot of that advice would be advice that I would also like take to heart in terms of like my own career trajectory. I got one more year, I think, when ECP, and then I think I'm out. Maybe two. <laughs> I, I, being an ear, I think it's a state of mind, Brandon. 
Yes, I am just fresh out of grad school in my mind. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, that's correct. Oh, Bonnie, what do you hope your impact on the field is going to be? I have, I, I should say, I have no idea, but I'd say <laughs> my impact, I think, might be most strongly felt uh, through the textbook that I wrote the three editions to, in that. Uh, I hope that the ideas in the textbook encourage students to pursue exercise psychology and get enthusiastic about it. Um, another thing is I have an exercise taxonomy of not all exercise is the same, and I've used it <coughs> almost from my dissertation um, to say what are some of the differences in competitiveness the importance of win winning and losing, um, the amount of interaction that you have with different people, so that certainly being a marathoner is very different from being a basketball player. Um, and so do how do different sports can uh, attract different people? And so that's has to do with the taxonomy that's also for what do you enjoy and how does it affect mood alteration? Um, I guess another thing would be how does exercise enhance subjective well-being and the quality of life? So it's not just for health and it's not just to be in a better mood, but how does it change your life? And, and we hear individual stories of different ways that it does, but um, I think it's an important question that I hope exercise psychologists will continue to investigate. Um, and then I hope that my research and teaching will enable my former students to keep students interested in exercise psychology so that generation after generation looks at the same topics, but in new and different ways as new knowledge emerges. So sort of a love of learning is maybe my legacy. So, and if I were to sum up my whole legacy, I would say contribution to knowledge a little bit. And it gets out of date really quick. Sounds like a substantial contribution, I would say. Most certainly. Absolutely. Bonnie, you've been so generous with your time and we've asked you so many different questions. Um, is there anything we haven't asked you um, that you would like to take a moment to, to share either about the field uh, from what you've observed and, and your very active role in that or, or ASP or both? Um, some of these we've covered, but I think it's important because you didn't ask me and it was not in any of the, the specific questions. And I did bring it up is what's the role of exercise psychology within ASP? Sure. Um, what are some needed directions of research and practice in uh, sports and ASP related areas. Uh, what's the role of physical activity in the enhancement of participants' mental health? And I think it shows the interaction between exercise psych and sports psych when I say sports psych is for competitors. And if we say that high intensity exercise uh, can lead to undesirable psychological changes. What are we doing to the athletes on teams and, and that sort of thing? So that 
I think we can ask more complex questions than we have been. Um, a very important question is what determines physical activity enjoyment, sport and exercise? What, what do people really enjoy? And for ask, why is the scientist practitioner model important? I still see that on the emails that go across the listserv. Um, and what's the relationship of ASP to the field, which you asked, but we didn't solve anything. So we have to continue to ask those questions. I think they're good questions. So I wish ASP well in moving ahead and this whole strategic planning process. And I enjoyed our conversation today. We did as well. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. I think your dedication and your passion and your love for the field and the organization just shines through so much. And so we just, we're really grateful that you've served so much time and on so many committees for ASP and that you continue to be a part of that. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story with us and, and letting us be a, a piece of, of getting a piece of your history in the field. It's been really special. I think we can award bonus points for naming Kate Hayes in the in the fun story section as a member of ASP. I think we'll we'll talk as a research team. David Letterman, I feel like maybe we'll make an honorary like <laughs> member. I, I don't know how we can't award bonus points right. or something that's like incredible. that. That's, that's that's pretty up there. Nice so we'll back. consider that. We'll have to get back to you, Bonnie, but I think that there's a good um argument for maybe allowing that allowing the bonus points there. That that definitely caught me off guard <laughs> in, in a good way. Okay. Enjoyed our conversation, as I said, and I look forward to seeing you at the next conference. Yes. Likewise. Absolutely. So as we say here on Asp and Answered, we've asked Dr. Bonnie Berger Answered, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>